Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Hi everybody, this is Petey. Welcome to Petrifaction. You're going to love today's show. Today we have stories about the Skinwalker Ranch, a little bit about the investigations that kind of were kept secret back in the 1990s to 2000 when Robert Bigelow actually owned the ranch right after the Shermans had left. And we're going to go over a little bit about that and we're going to get into some other stories about the Indiana Demon House. Now, I'm sure you're aware of that one. There was a documentary out called Demon House by Zach Bagans. This is the case of the Ammons family of Gary, Indiana, and of the supposed hauntings that went on there, or more than likely, as it's claimed, to be demonic, not just hauntings. So we're going to get into a little bit on the demon house and that story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Some have called it a supernatural place. Others have deemed it cursed. Terry Sherman got so spooked by the happenings on his new cattle ranch that 18 months after moving his family of four to the property, now known by the name of Skinwalker Ranch, in northeastern Utah, he sold the 512-acre property, and he practically gave it away. He and his wife Gwen shared their chilling experiences with a local reporter in June of 1996. They'd seen mysterious crop circles, the Sherman said, and UFOs, and the systematic and repeated mutilation of their cattle in an oddly surgical and bloodless manner. 
Within three months of the story's publication, Las Vegas real estate magnate and UFO enthusiast Robert Bigelow bought the property for a mere $200,000. Under the name the National Institute for Discovery Science, Bigelow set up round-the-clock surveillance of the ranch, hoping to get to the bottom of the paranormal claims. But while that surveillance yielded a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker, Science Confronts the Unexplained at a Remote Ranch in Utah, in which several of the researchers claimed to have seen paranormal activity, they were unable to capture any meaningful physical evidence supporting the Sherman's incredible claims. The ranch was resold to Adamantium Real Estate, which has since applied to trademark the name Skinwalker Ranch. Had the Shermans been lying about what they saw, or under the spell of a collective delusion? Without evidence, the stories they told are difficult to believe, but they're hardly unique. The Uinta Basin of eastern Utah has been a hotbed of paranormal sightings over the years that some extraterrestrial enthusiasts have deemed it UFO Alley. You can't throw a rock in southern Utah without hitting somebody who's been abducted, local filmmaker Trent Harris told the Deseret News. Indeed, according to Hunt for the Skinwalker, odd objects have been spotted overhead since the first European explorers arrived. In 1776, Franciscan missionary Sylvester Valles de Escalante wrote about strange fireballs appearing over his campfire in El Rey. And before the Europeans, of course, indigenous peoples occupied the Uinta Basin. Not everything the Shermans saw in the ranch was skyborne UFOs. They also claimed to see mysterious large animals, most notably a wolf, three times the size of a normal wolf, that Terry shot at close range multiple times with a rifle to seemingly no effect. Then, on the night of March 12th of 1997, after the ranch had been sold off, biochemist Cole Callagher, working with Bigelow's National Institute for Discovery and Science, claimed to see a large humanoid creature spying on the research team from a tree. As he detailed in Hunt for the Skinwalker, the creature was approximately 50 yards away, watching the team safely from a tree perch 20 feet off the ground. The large creature that lay motionless, almost casually, in the tree, said Callagher. The only indication of the beast's presence was the penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly back into the light. After Kelleher fired at the creature with a rifle, it disappeared. It was then that I saw it, a single, obvious oval track about six inches in diameter embedded deeply in the path of snow. It looked unusual, a single large print in the snow with two sharp claws protruding from the rear of the mark going a couple of inches deeper. It almost looked like a bird of prey, maybe a raptor, 
but huge and, from the depth of the print, from a very heavy creature. Repeated sightings of human-like creatures have led some to invoke the name Skinwalker, a shape-shifting character from Navajo tribal folklore. Among the Navajo, skinwalkers are like werewolves, evil witches who can transform themselves into the creatures of their choosing. But Sherman's family ranch was 400 miles north of Navajo Nation. It was next to the Ute Territory, and when the Ute and the Navajo did cross paths, it was an acrimonious relationship, explains historian Sondra Jones, author of Being and Becoming Ute. It was not friendly, Jones says. The Navajo were more aggressive people. They took slaves. They had the Ute slaves. And there was a direct conflict when the Navajo attempted to move up into Ute territory at modern-day Pagosa Springs and Durango. While skinwalkers don't feature in Ute religion, there are still aspects of the ranch that make sense within the context of the Ute lore. Other strange sightings have occurred directly next door at Bottle Hollow, a 420-acre man-made reservoir abuting the ranch, which was filled with fresh water in 1970 by federal government mandate. In 1998, a police officer saw a large light plunge into the reservoir and then reemerge, flying off into the night sky. One night in 2002, four young non-Indian men standing on the reservoir shoreline saw a blue-white ball enter the artificial lake. According to the hunt for the skinwalker, the glowing ball dove into the water just a few feet from the shore, then emerged seconds later in a form, a shimmering, maneuverable, belt-shaped shaft of light. After performing a brief dance, the belt of light zipped away at a high speed, hugging the ground before disappearing below the top of Skinwalker Ridge. The appearance of the supernatural around Bottle Hollow makes sense with the context of the Ute belief. According to Jones, amongst the Utes, springs and certain waterways were reservoirs of negative power. There were evil spirits or evil sprites that would rise up out of the water and drag you. Aerospace entrepreneur Robert Bigelow made a cryptic announcement in September of 2008 in a radio interview with George Knapp. Bigelow revealed that he just created Bass, a subsidiary of Bigelow Aerospace, and that Bass had entered into a partnership with an unnamed entity to study the UFO mystery and related phenomenon. The public didn't know it at the time, but one week earlier, Bigelow had signed a contract with the Defense Intelligence Agency to carry out an investigation under the umbrella of OSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program. The impetus for the program had occurred a year earlier when a senior scientist from DIA visited Skinwalker Ranch and had a highly unusual encounter with an unknown intelligence. The scientist returned to Washington, met with U.S. Senators Harry Reid and Ted Stevens, and proposed the creation of a special classified study of UFOs and related phenomena. 
the lawmakers agreed to sponsor such a program and secured $22 million to fund it, and OSAP was born. Bigelow and his team hired dozens of investigators, scientists, and support personnel who set to work with the intention of creating a huge database consisting of original investigations, plus UFO files gleaned from other nations. Among the cases investigated by Bass was the now-famous 2004 Tic Tac encounter off the coast of Southern California. Bigelow speaks for the first time about OSAP, the Tic Tac, interaction with Louis Elizondo, the role played by Skinwalker Ranch in OSAP study, and how the lessons learned during the Bass study directly relate to Bigelow's new venture, the study of consciousness and the afterlife. Brought to you by LegacyBrewing.shop The notion of demonic possession has been around for centuries, and the idea that we can become vehicles for devilish sinister forces from beyond has haunted and frightened humankind since time unremembered. Yet, is it possible for a whole house to become a portal for such forces to enter our world? And can a whole family be invaded by these evil entities? In one recent case, a family in their home was claimed to have been infiltrated by demons or even the devil himself. And the Demon House of Indiana has gone on to become one of the most terrifying accounts on record. In November of 2011, a young woman named Latoya Ammons, her mother Rosa Gamble, and her three children, then aged 7, 9, and 12, came to Gary, Indiana and moved into a modest, quiet home at 3860 Carolina Street. At the time, they were happy to be there, and although the house was just a rather plain-looking rental cottage, it was, for them, in a way, their dream home. Yet, pretty much as soon as they arrived, there were strange, rather ominous phenomena that began to plague them, and which would hint at sinister forces residing and festering there. The first unusual thing the family noticed happening occurred in December when a high number of black flies began buzzing and crawling around the house, most often concentrated on the small porch of the residence. This was odd enough because it was winter, but what made it even weirder was that sometimes these flies would swarm about in thick black clouds and get everywhere, even though there was no discernible reason for them to gather so intensely and none of the neighbors had a fly problem at all. The family went about trying to exterminate the unseasonable profusion of flies, but no matter what they did, the insects returned in droves, of which Rosa Campbell would later lament. 
this is not normal. We killed them and killed them and we killed them, but they kept coming back. Unfortunately, the plague of flies will turn out to be the least of their worries. At around the same time, it is alleged that there would often be heard the heavy thud of disembodied footsteps coming from the stairs down into the basement at night, as well as the creaking sound of the door from the basement to the kitchen opening, even when it was locked and there were once found to be wet boot prints left behind. In addition to this, there were purportedly numerous cases of poltergeist activity, such as slamming doors and moving objects, and on at least one occasion, Campbell was startled to see a dark figure lurking in the living room, which vanished in the blink of an eye. In one instance, a religious statue in the home was supposedly smashed into pieces. This paranormal activity steadily grew in intensity, and the Ammon's children began missing school because, according to her, they were being kept awake all night by the strange occurrences. It all apparently got even worse from there, as various family members began to complain of being pushed or poked by an unseen force, and at one point Campbell would even claim that she had been viciously choked by invisible hands. On another occasion, the older son was also said to be thrown clear across the room as if he were a rag doll. And on another, the youngest son was allegedly thrown from the bathroom. The daughter also was thrown around and grabbed by dark shadows. Even more dramatic than this was an incident in March of 2012 when the 12-year-old daughter was supposedly found levitating over her bed in a trance-like state. According to their version of events, Ammons and Campbell began praying, and at this point the girl floated back down to her bed. Upon waking, she claimed to have absolutely no memory of the otherworldly incident, as if it had been wiped from her mind or instigated without her knowledge. After this rather terrifying event, the children began to exhibit a plethora of strange behaviors and outbursts that suggested that they were under the influence of some demonic supernatural force. It would be claimed that their eyes would bulge or roll back in their heads, and they would hiss, snarl, and bark like animals at times, without any memory of it. Sometimes they would speak in demonic voices or pass out for no reason during which time they could not be woken up. At other times, one of the sons was claimed to have blurted out sinister remarks such as, I will kill you, or it's time to die, often in a voice that wasn't his own, and he was even accused of attacking his own brother during one of those violent episodes. Even Ammons herself would claim to have been possessed, becoming desperate and scared. Ammons reached out for help from the church, and when priests investigated, it said that a wide variety of paranormal occurrences were witnessed. Besides the instances of what seemed like demonic possession in the children, there were observed flickering lights and moving objects, including a bottle that allegedly levitated across the room. The church advised the family to try cleansing the house and drawing crosses on the doors, floors, and windows, but none of this did any good. 
So they enlisted the help of clairvoyants to try and ascertain just what they were dealing with. The prognosis was not good, as they would tell Ammons that her house was infested by at least 200 different demons, and in order to combat these dark forces, they burned sage and made an altar in the basement. But none of this helped, and the family was too poor to simply move away. Eventually, the Department of Child Services became involved, and there was even supposedly a supernatural event witnessed by one of the child service case workers and a nurse when one of the Ammons boys was supposedly witnessed to walk backwards up a wall, seemingly to defy gravity. The case manager of Valerie Washington would later talk of what she witnessed, saying, He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there. There was no way he could have done that. I believe that it was something going on there, and that was out of the realm of normal living. Even the authorities became convinced that something strange was going on, with even police captain Charles Austin saying that he believed there was a possible supernatural explanation for the phenomena orbiting the Ammons family after witnessing several strange going-ons himself. Austin would claim that he had taken photos showing phantom shapes with his iPhone, captured a mysterious voice on tape that said, Hey, and he has also said that his car had mysteriously malfunctioned and that his garage door refused to open during the investigation. Despite all of this, the Ammons children were briefly taken from their mother for six months while the Department of Child Services performed an investigation, after which they were returned to their mother. The tale of what would go on to be called the House of 200 Demons really hit its stride when it was reported in several high-profile news outlets, most notably a comprehensive 2014 article in the Indianapolis Star, complete with a supposed photo of one of the demons lurking in the window and another in the New York Daily News. This media coverage propelled the whole dramatic affair into the stratosphere, and the dark and macabre story of a mother of three stalked by demons from hell, captured the public's imagination and made it a media sensation. In the meantime, Catholic priest Reverend Michael Maginot was brought in by the family and performed at least three exorcisms on the house and on the victims, none of which seemed to have an effect on the evil forces surrounding them and their home, which Maginot called a portal of demons. Indeed, the activity apparently only stopped when the family finally was able to move away to Indianapolis. Weirdly enough, the next tenant of the house reported no unusual activity or paranormal occurrences. It seems that this should be the end of the story, but not in this case. Indeed, it seems to almost get even stranger. The house was soon after purchased by Zach Bagans from the Travel Channel TV show Ghost Adventures, and he went about filming a documentary on the Ammons case, as well as his own experiences at the property, which was to be appropriately titled Demon House. Baggins spared no expense on his documentary, not only outright buying the house, but also gainning access to reams of information on the case, 
interviewing scores of witnesses at the time, and even bringing back the priest. Just about the only person he couldn't get was Ammons herself, who was keen to distance herself from the whole incident. Unfortunately for Baggins, it seemed as if the demonic activity and influence on the home had not died just yet, and he reported falling seriously ill for several days within just the first week after buying it. For his part, Magnot continuously implored Baggins and his crew to use crucifixes and other forms of spiritual protection from demons, but Baggins refused because he reasoned that getting the full demonic experience was the whole point. According to Baggins, there were numerous technical difficulties, freak accidents experienced by the crew and witnesses. Some crew quit, and one of the crew members was apparently so influenced by the supposed demonic presence at the home that Magnot performed an exorcism on him right then and right there. This was filmed and actually made into the film. Baggins would lament. This film is cursed, and he even worried about whether merely watching it could be dangerous. After the filming wrapped in 2016, after filming wrapped in 2016, although it would not be released until 2018, Baggins went about having the whole accursed house actually torn down to leave merely an empty lot. According to Magnot, this was a foolish thing to do, and that, as Baggins had performed no cleansing ritual on the property of any kind, the evil is still there lingering. In his opinion, without the ritual, it makes no difference on its status as a demon portal. It's there, whether the physical house is there or not, and... He has claimed that there are still ghostly occurrences on the property. Magnot has explained, That's kind of a sad thing for me. I didn't want people harmed. It's dangerous. It's not an amusement park. There is a danger that you can't control. And if the house was still there and locked up, I felt it could be controlled. It would protect people. So people still go there and perform rituals and police come by and chase them off. They're opening up themselves to real danger. As a priest, I would have preferred that it was shown that the house could be cleansed, that it could be taken care of by the church to make it habitable for someone without any problems. That's the happy ending I would have liked to have seen. Instead, it was torn down and it looks like Satan won. For now, the property remains empty. It's a weed-choked lot. But whether it ever had any real demonic presence or not remains debated. There's been some skepticism aimed at the veracity of the claims of Ammons and her family, stating that she was very religious and that her home life was troubled, meaning that it could have influenced her perceptions and those of her children. Despite the skeptics, Ammons and her family have continued to insist that what they experienced and have told of the experience is all true. That it was beyond rational explanation. In fact, there are many witnesses who claimed to have seen these phenomena for themselves and continue to place them outside of the realm of the normal. A Gary, Indiana priest believes evil still lingers on a property where a house that allegedly tormented a family 
and gained a global reputation for malevolence was knocked down more than three years ago. Paranormal television show host Zach Bagans still owns the property, but he tore down the house in February of 2016. Today, the spot's now an empty grassy lot between two houses with a large gnarled tree standing guard near the sidewalk. The Demon House movie was released in March of 2018 and documented the alleged paranormal attacks and possession from 2011 to 2012 of a Gary family who later relocated to Indianapolis. The documentary, along with the lost footage that premiered on Travel Channel in January, has caused countless pilgrimages to the property. Years later, the priest who performed the exorcisms on the demon house is still getting calls for help from those who have visited the location and fear they've brought something back with them. Reverend Michael Maginot said it was only days ago that someone called him after visiting the property. Maginot is a priest at St. Stephen Martyr Church, and he says that he believes a portal is still open at that location, free for any demon to come through and attack. He said he tends to get more calls around Halloween. They call me because they try and get rid of it themselves and it won't leave, he said. I've had several different calls like that. The Demon House documentary claims a portal under the stairs in the basement was a doorway for evil entities that terrorized the family and brought misfortune to several people who were involved in the investigation, including a police captain. Now that the structure is knocked down, Maginot is concerned that the doorway still stands and the evil still resides there. If they go there without any kind of what I call protection, such as a religious medal, they feel something, Maginot said. Even as they're driving up and approaching the property, as they approach that tree, they have that feeling that they want to get out of there. Many of them get back in their cars. For those who stay and don't wear or carry a blessed or religious object, their curiosity can become an invitation to whatever lurks on the grounds. It begins subtle and then things start happening. Something attaches to them and goes to their home and all of a sudden they sense something. One common thing is bad, very vivid dreams. Sudden sickness, headaches, and nausea. Sometimes they'll hear three knocks in their car or house or they'll feel anger or sadness overtake them out of nowhere. Maginot said, usually spiritual objects or a deliverance, a type of prayer, takes care of the problem, and he has not had to do any recent exorcisms related to the property. Neighbors living next door to the demon house have reported no issues of paranormal activity, though they have seen plenty of human activity buzzing around their neighborhood. They said they still see people pull up to the property to take photos. I believe whatever it was, it was something to do with that family, said one neighbor, who asked to be unidentified. Whatever happened with that family, the problem started when they moved in, and when they left, the house ended it. We've been here for more than 40 years. I've seen renters in and out of that house for years. Brian Miller, former Hammond police chief, 
and current director of public safety at Purdue University Northwest, was among the police officers who dug in the dirt under the stairs where the portal was said to have originated. It was creepy, Miller said. I was concerned about what we might dig up, but we didn't find any remains. They found an odd array of objects buried there, including a fingernail, a pair of women's underwear, a comb, and two children's socks. He also investigated an oil-like substance that was found dripping from the window blinds and could not find an explanation or a source. I did have some strange things happen, Miller said. When myself and another officer went back to the house, right before Zach did his movie, we saw candles lining all outside the house. It appeared someone was doing a seance or religious ceremony. It's one of the reasons he told me why he took the house down. He was concerned people would break in and do things. The documentary also included testimonies from Gary and Lake County Sheriff's Police. Gary Corporal Javier Garza said he believes the other officers. I was told there was a portal under the stairs, and I believe it. People ask about the ghost house, asking me, is it true? And I say, yeah, it's true. When the story first broke, Gary police were tasked with patrolling the area. We were told people from all over the world were coming there. Police Lieutenant Thomas Pollock from Gary said he consulted with his parish priest before sending officers into a potentially dangerous situation. I told my guys that if they go in, wear a medallion or something religious for protection. People laugh and gawk at it, but things like that exist. Garza, who's been on the force for 24 years, said the feeling he would get from that property was unlike anything he's ever encountered before. Every time I was around that area, I felt this magnetism. Even driving on Virginia Street or 39th, if I could see that white house in the corner of my eye, I would get goosebumps. My eyes would tear up. My hair would stand on end. And I get that same feeling I did when I watched The Exorcist. Garza said he always wears a St. Benedict medallion, which is said to protect the wearer from evil. He avoids the area now and hasn't been past that property since the house was torn down. I never get those feelings anywhere else in the whole city, Garza said. We deal with a lot of bad things all the time. I go through abandoned churches and cemeteries all the time, and I've never felt anything like that. The police report that gave the account of the Ammons family torment on Carolina Street was stricken from public record. An officer said he was amazed when he read the report and turned to the witnesses to confirm the bizarre events that transpired. I know some people at the hospital, and I asked them if this was all true, and they confirmed it. It was several pages, a very detailed report. Once the word got out and people began reading it and printing it, it got locked down so no one could find it. Garza said he still remembers the report's details vividly to this day, though he has never seen the documentary. What was scary was the official report with a little boy walking up a wall and speaking in tongues. 
everyone was talking about it when it happened. One of the officers involved in the investigations, former Gary Police Captain Charles Austin, reported strange mechanical and electrical issues in his house and squad car after visiting the house in the spring of 2012. In the documentary, he said the car seat in his police car began sliding back and forward on its own, and other mechanical objects, such as his garage door, began malfunctioning. Two days after he was interviewed by Baggins for the documentary, Austin slipped on ice and had to be treated for head injuries. About five years later, in February of 2017, Austin was shot in the stomach in his home at the 4100 block of Jackson Street in Gary. Three men had broken into his home, reportedly believing the house was abandoned, and then allegedly shot Austin after the former police cap initially tried to fire the intruders. However, when police examined Austin's gun, they determined that it appeared not to have been fired due to an apparent mechanical failure. Maginot said he believes these occurrences are more than coincidences and many people have been negatively affected after they left the property, including Zach Baggins. that's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified.